1: Hey Holly, hey Dave, welcome back to the "What Difference Does It Make" podcast and part two of our interview with Chris Franz, author of the brand new book "Remain in Love." Talking Heads, Tom Tom Club, Tina. It's subtitled.
0: (laughs) Yes, we talk all those things. We're going to talk more. About the Talking Heads, Tom, Tom Club, and Tina, we get further into uh, our discussion. It's a great talk, and uh, Chris is, uh, is, been, is really wonderful. So uh, let's get right into it.
1: Just I want to ask you one question about the name this is on the topic. You made one reference in the book to the Talking Heads.
2: Oh, yeah, because some people say that, and I've, I've you. seen people on the Talking Heads message board actually arguing it about is it Talking <laughs> Heads or is it the Talking Heads? And Actually, we don't care what you say oh. as long as you say Talking oh, heads. heads. No. <laughs> it's okay to put the the in front if you want to. Uh-huh.
1: Okay, because okay. <laughs> it, it was a single reference in the book, and you, you you called yourself out on it. You said, yes, I said the Talking Heads, and yeah. I couldn't figure out I was I, – I wondered because I know it is talking heads.
0: It's so
2: silly. I mean, it doesn't matter, but I've actually seen people arguing
0: about it. (laughs) All about the details. So your first show at CBGB's, as you say in the book, was May of 1975. And you wrote down the set list. It is basically your first two albums, which is insane. Yeah. I mean, that was, and you were a trio at this point. uh, I guess you get a contract before the end of the year you have you're offered a record contract that's yes that's that's crazy and yet what happens when you get this contract what do you do
2: well we uh Seymour Stein of of Sire Records uh saw us play at CBGB's and he was uh he he really liked us and so he he offered us a record deal on the spot (laughs) (laughs) and uh we, we said, Seymour, now's not the right time. Let's talk tomorrow. And so uh, he came down to our loft on Christie Street, and he met with us. And, and he said, you know, I want, I want you to make a record. It's, I love your band. And, and um, we said, well, that's very nice, Seymour, but we're not ready to make a record yet, which, which made him really <laughs> nervous. He, he spent the, the, the entire – we made him wait for 18 months And um, until we felt like we were ready, because we had made a few demos, uh, little, you know, demos that you record very quickly. And we we had listened to them and we said, we're not ready to make a record yet. You know, it's one thing to to put on a show at CBGB's and to, you know, rock the house there. But it's another thing to make a 12-inch record that a person is supposed to listen to over and over again, you know. So we held off, but when we said we were ready now, when we said Seymour, we're ready now, I think he got us in the lawyer's office the next day.
0: (laughs) That's insane for, you're 24 at the time, struggling. How much were you paying in your loft, by the way? (laughs) How much was I paying for my loft? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, $289
2: a month.
0: Brilliant. (laughs) Brilliant. Love it. So, but you're still, you know, you're, you're, it's tough, and it's tough for if someone's throwing, ready to throw money your way, and you're 24 and living where you're living yeah. to say, "No, yeah. I don't want this yet. We're not ready." And this was a band decision, right? This was everyone agreed. Yes,
2: yes, we we all agreed on that, and and it was because we we really weren't ready. You know, we we needed to polish our stagecraft. We needed to get our sound together, and and we we were we had been a trio. We were doing very well as a trio, but we felt like we, we really should have another musician, like a keyboard player, or maybe somebody who could play keyboards and guitar to add new textures to the songs and, and make make them more beautiful.
0: Yeah. You know? However, you, you get to make this record, but your producer, Tony um, yeah, uh, you didn't necessarily agree with his direction, or what was going on with this as you're in the studio you weren't hap- uh or tell me tell us the story of of tony and the t- and talking heads
2: sure well tony had some kind of deal with seymour stein or vice versa I, I don't know but tony had produced a, a uh, the second ramones album and seymour suggested that he do ours and we th- we didn't really know any other producers so we said okay and uh he he was uh, a hit producer he had you probably remember Never Can Say Goodbye by mm-hmm. Gloria Gaynor, which was uh, one of the you know biggest disco hits of all time, mm-hmm. I mean, worldwide. And he also produced Donna Summer. And uh, when we were working with him, he had a number one hit with Disco Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> huge M- hit. Miko, yeah, it was that huge. It was a huge hit it was number 1 so he was used to he was a very talented engineer but he was not a real people person but he was used, he was used to working with very slick studio cats and singers that were very uh, you know accomplished like Donna Summer or Gloria Gaynor he wasn't a bad guy or anything he just he just wasn't the right person for us but fortunately the uh, engineer Ed Stasium, who went on to work with many great artists. Ed was really good, and he he was like the secret weapon. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes Tony would just leave, because Tony was building this big studio called the Power Station. Mm-hmm. Probably heard of that. Of course. And- uh, across the street from studio 54 i think it was tony tony w- was um a bit of a nut his, his nephew was t- right. uh, john bon Jovi right
0: so some of these songs i, I mean i guess um I, I was listening a little bit on uh, um, some songs that didn't make it there there was like they he he liked to add horn. was that his idea to add horns to some of your your early songs i i,
2: I believe it was david's idea to add horns oh, really? to like ghosts to building on fire yeah, David loves the horns, and I like them too. I mean, I I, I like the idea on that song because I thought, oh, it'll make it sound like a Stax record, right? But no, it didn't sound like a Stax record. It <laughs> sounded like Talking Heads with horns.
0: <laughs> Were you playing the steel drums uh, and that? Um, was it the first song on the album?
2: Love has come to yeah, town. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, uh, n- no, I did not play that part and I'm embarrassed to admit I, I can't remember who who did. It, it wasn't a member of our band. it was a uh, a steel drum player.
0: I always thought that was it was weird like here's this punk band or this new and all of a sudden <laughs> in comes the steel yeah. drums I was, I, that was that kind of set the table for this band is not your ordinary band. this is something you can't
1: really <laughs> categorize them. yeah, you thought you knew and then you know you were just thrown for a loop. So then you moved on to producers, you moved on to, you You eventually connected with Brian Eno.
2: Yes, we met Brian in London, our first performance in London. And he came with John Cale <laughs> and uh, we had lunch with him the next day and uh, had a good conversation. And then I think the following day we went over to his apartment and chatted further and and. and we pretty much all, we all agreed that he would be a good, good person to produce us because we, we were fans of his uh, his records. We were especially excited by what he, his most recent work with David Bowie mm-hmm. and, and like Heroes and the Low album. He told us he was going to be producing Devo. Oh, that's cool. We like Devo, <laughs> and um, we went down to the Bahamas. Chris Blackwell of Island Records had a new studio down there, and he invited us down. gave us a good rate, and <laughs> everybody was happy to go there. and uh, And we recorded our second album there with Brian behind the console. So this became now,
0: it kind of became your second home. And do you yeah. feel like the Bahamas are your are is also home for you?
2: Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, one of our, our, our son Robin was born there yeah. in 1982. One of the things we did was we traded uh, a little piece of real estate, a, a condominium, I guess you could call it, in exchange for making a record for Chris Blackwell. And instead of the advance in cash, we took, um, some real estate instead so we still have a little place down there love place. to go there
1: we really enjoyed your vivid descriptions of the bahamas and of living there and of just the sights and the surroundings yeah, yeah.
2: thank you thank you, you
0: you name every building right so where do you live
2: <laughs> ours is called tip top that's the name of the building and and the actual apartment is called the tom tom club
0: <laughs> oh i've heard of that before Uh Yeah. Okay, let's stop right here. Take a break. We're enjoying ourselves with Chris Franz, author of Remain in Love, and uh, we will be right back.
1: Today's What Difference Does It Make podcast is brought to you by Audible. Have you tried any Audible audiobooks lately, Dave?
0: Yeah, I do love the Audible books. It's uh, something I go to all the time. As a matter of fact, I kind of out of ideas. What, a, what, what do you think I would like?
1: Okay, I have one for you here. I have one. I know you like Rob Sheffield, right?
0: I do. Love him. What do you got?
1: How about the wild heart of Stevie Nicks?
0: I know he's a huge Stevie Nicks fan, and I think I would really, really, really enjoy that. That's a good choice. I will go to audibletrial.com backslash WDDIM podcast and get my free book if I wasn't already an Audible subscriber. But since if you're listening, you are not an Audible subscriber.
1: You go to audibletrial.com backslash WDDIM podcast and you can download your first free audiobook. Do it now. Welcome back to the What Difference Does It Make podcast and part two of our interview with Chris Franz.
0: Let's talk Tom Tom Clug because, all right, so the first thing that surprised me in your book is after Remain in Light, not that David and Jerry got solo deals, I, I guess that, was, that wasn't too surprising. But you mentioned that you had only $2,000 in the bank after one of your biggest albums and you toured and all this. What's going on?
2: What it was was um, the the, uh, the the expanded lineup of the band, you know, having nine people on stage and a crew of about the same size and airplane tickets for everybody and hotel rooms for everybody. It adds up, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So at the end of that tour, I mean, it was a very successful tour and super exciting everywhere we went. It was packed and the accolades were just pouring in, but it didn't make any money. And in fact, we might have even lost a little money.
0: (laughs) Well, well, back then, tours were just seen as promotional for the for the album. Yeah. Yeah. You weren't supposed to make money, I guess. and Obviously, that was indeed the case.
2: Yeah. And uh, Remain in Light did did not sell a whole lot of copies either. It was not one of our biggest selling albums. Eventually, yes. But when it Mm -hmm. first came out, people, the rock music station said, Oh, this is, this sounds too much like black music. And the (laughs) black music station says, Oh, this sounds too much like white music. So so we were not getting the airplay that we, we had on Fear of Music.
0: But that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> we came back. <laughs> so you created you created something that, again, appealed to both white and black all, all audiences. Tom Tom yeah. Club is was quite a quite an accomplishment. Who came up with the the idea of like you know did you go to Tina like we we got to do something or was Tina grooving on something and you picked up on it or how how did this all come to fruition?
2: We knew we had to do something. Because who knows how long David and Jerry were going to be busy with their solo projects. So uh, our manager uh, spoke with Chris Blackwell at Island Records. And Chris Blackwell said, I understand the value of a good rhythm section. Why don't you have Chris and Tina come down to Compass Point and make us cut a single, make a 45 single. And if I like it, then they can do a whole album. So we said, great, we love that idea. And we, we went down to uh, Compass Point, and the original producer was supposed to be Lee Perry, you know, that Lee Scratch, Scratch Perry, Perry to yeah. produce The Wailers and Police and Thieves for Junior Mervin and lo- lots mm-hmm. of great reggae songs. We met with, with Lee Perry in New York, and, and he said, "Yeah, man, we can do it." And uh, uh, so we we sent all our our gear down to the Bahamas. We went down there ourselves, and we booked the studio. And we're waiting. And Lee Perry just didn't show up. And after two weeks, our manager finally got him on the phone and said, "Scratch, what's up, man? Chris and Tina have been waiting for two weeks." And he said, "Oh, it's about the money." And and. Uh, <laughs> Our manager said, "Oh, well, what do you want?" And Scratch said, "I need a thousand dollars an hour." And uh, our manager said, "Well, that sounds kind of expensive. Are you trying to price yourself out of this gig?" <laughs> and Lee Perry said, "No, man, no problem. We make the album in six hours, <laughs> so we know we knew we were sort of barking up the wrong tree there." And Tina said. There was a young guy there that we had worked with on uh, Remain in Light. In fact, he had had recorded the basic tracks for Once in a Lifetime. Stephen Stanley was his name. He's only like 21 from Jamaica and an excellent engineer. And she said, well, why don't we just do it with Stevie and uh, see how that goes? And Chris Blackwell said, great idea. And so we went in with Stevie and we cut this song called Wordy Rapping Hood, mm-hmm. which uh, went to top 10 in seven countries in Europe and all over Latin America and the UK. And so uh, Chris Blackwell was very happy. <laughs> he said, now you can do a whole album. <laughs> and so the next thing we cut was called Genius of Love, which hit very big in the United States
0: yeah yeah Yeah. that's great and as we mentioned it crossed over to to all audiences you even got to play soul train
2: yeah yeah Yeah, we played soul train that's so wild that was like a dream come true for me and tina because we used to when we were young lovers we used to watch soul train on saturday mornings on tv so great and Then we got the call, and we were we were actually in Los Angeles shooting "Stop Making Sense." Right. So in the morning we did Soul Train, In then evening we did "Stop Making Sense" at the Pantages. It was yeah. a busy day, busy
0: yeah, day. I <laughs> just watched "Stop Making Sense," and actually I was listening to the uh, to the commentary track. That was kind of fun. But um, but what Tina's remark during the Tom Tom Club part is. Um, was like was just how exhausted you looked. Because it was making stop making sense. I g you know, obviously it wasn't just an hour and a half show. It was a little you know, you played longer and, yeah. and then yeah. yeah, so it's and you know, you're you're behind the kit for most of most of the time and it's uh yeah it's quite an ordeal. Yeah, for the so the film
1: it was recorded over four four days, right?
0: I thought it was only three it was but- it was three days, according to the commentary
1: okay. I heard. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah, but some pe- I've
2: noticed some people say four, but maybe there was one day that uh, just the camera crew um, blocked things out or something. Maybe we had to rent the theater for four days or something.
0: Was that a collaborative production, or was that David's uh, conception?
2: I guess you could say it was primarily David's conception. He, he um, had designed this show along with the woman who designed shows for Robert Wilson. Or one of the women who does that. And um, are you familiar with Robert Wilson, oh, yeah. uh, avant-garde yeah. theater? And uh, it was a good, it was a good place to uh good place to get ideas from. But what was great about that movie "Stop making sense is not just the band. The band was fantastic. I mean, let's face it amazing, mm-hmm. but the camera crew, the director of photography, uh, Jonathan Demme himself, uh, everybody everybody we worked with on that, the editing, the editor was named Lisa Day, did a fantastic job. Mm. And, you know, some of the best w- editors are women. In fact, many of them. <laughs> uh, so anyway, uh, every everybody was like, everybody involved in the production of that just did a, such a good job. And it all just came together kind of perfect
0: one other thing on the commentary track is that um the first day you had there were in the film there's no not a lot of audience shots but i think on the first day you tried to get audience shots you put the hot lights on the audience members and they weren't they were getting exhausted and there there wasn't as much (laughs) so it wasn't as much energy the first night and i think you guys panicked a little or what was can you tell us about (laughs) what was going on (laughs)
2: If you, if you want to get an audience to sit down, put a bright light on them. <laughs> you know, it, it's uh, it just doesn't work. I mean, I always hate it when they when they you know you go to shows today and they they put a spotlight out into the audience and I hate that. But, yeah, but uh, you know what? What am I going to do?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Talk about collaboration. You seemed your uh, kind of a. Th- theme throughout the book for me, at least my observation, was that you you always seem to be trying to keep the peace. Ah. Yeah. Um, Do you feel like that was your role?
2: I, I, I guess sometimes, not all the time, but, but maybe sometimes. I know Jerry has has told people in interviews and stuff that that he was the diplomat of the band. But I mean maybe he was.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> it seemed like you were you you went to great lengths though to keep peace and and tina also just again just some of my observations yeah, you know,
2: we, we 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 loved the band and we we loved what we were doing and we wanted to keep it keep it together
0: was that stop making sense your last waltz i mean did i don't think talking heads <laughs> went on tour again after that
2: we didn't do any tours <laughs> after the movie came out but before the movie actually was released we did a our last tour was a tour of Australia and New Zealand, some big festivals. And they were, they were really great, really fun, but it was kind of sad because we had a feeling it might be the last time because Dave, David was making noises about okay. he didn't want to tour anymore, did that it. the movie would tour for us.
0: I <laughs> so did get a sense of that. Yeah, you see, um, you mentioned that, how upset. I mean, were you upset? See, it's the 35th anniversary of Live Aid. Were you upset that Talking Heads were not there?
2: Well, not so much upset, but just uh, it would have been it would have been cool had we been able to do that. You know, that was a big day in the music business, and we we were not there.
0: <laughs> yeah, your your book comes out. Is it similar to a record <laughs> being released?
2: Yes, it's very similar. It's you know in this this uh, self isolating world we're living in it's kind of weird Uh, you know everything's different because usually there's a lot of you know shaking hands and hugging and even a little (laughs) kissing you know but uh not not this time
1: (laughs) probably never again sadly
2: yeah yeah i I think it'll come back i think it'll come
0: back i hope so and you also hinted uh tina might be coming out with a memoir is that is she working on something Mm.
2: she is in the early days very early days but i I'm pretty sure she's gonna do it yeah
1: hopefully she portrays you as lovely as you portrayed her in the book I really you really get through the book the feeling that you have for her and that's a nice long marriage it's inspiring
2: yes it is and um, what can I say I'm a very lucky guy
0: Health-wise, you good I, I heard this one podcast you're doing yeah. it. yes I, I had a um
2: I had a little hiccup with my heart, but I'm good. (laughs) I I had a checkup yesterday and my cardiologist said, you know, Chris, you've made me a very happy man. This is a perfect EKG. So, (laughs) so there you go. We're we're good.
0: Well, thank you so much for your time. This has been a lot of fun. Yes. Um,
1: Thank you. Thank
0: you. you. It was a great pleasure. Again, remain in love. Holly and Dave, nice Yay! to meet you all. Nice to meet you. Remain, very nice to meet you too. Remain in love, and uh, everyone can get it. It's uh, it's a wonderful read. If you love the Talking Heads, this is going to be uh, it's a real treat. So thank you so much, Chris. Thanks for joining us, and we look forward to to hearing more from you in the in the future.
2: Thank you very much.
0: Thank you so much, Chris. Take care. You bet. All right. Bye bye. 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 Chris Franz, everybody. <laughs>
1: That was great. That was super fun. Yes.
0: Don't forget to follow us. Uh, you can go to the WDDIMpodcast.com, Sign up for our newsletter and uh, also social media.
1: Right? Oh, social media. You can find us everywhere these days. On uh, Facebook at What Difference Does It Make? On Instagram at WDDIM Podcast. On Twitter, WDDIM Podcast.
0: Give us reviews. We love the five stars. We love any <laughs> comments you
1: can give us. So we love ideas too.
0: Yes give us some ideas who knows we might uh, we might put you on the podcast <laughs> until next time this is dave this is holly check you later over
3: and out it's nfl draft season and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football